Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We moved from the Midwest in uh, 1995, so we've been out here 27 years. And when we first got here, and it would get to be this time of year, and I would hear people say, oh boy, winter, it's so cold, it's so cold. And I would think, what are you kidding me? I'm here to officially declare I am freezing. (laughs) So I've been converted to what? I'm not sure. But wow, all that Wisconsin blood is long gone. So that had nothing to do with nothing. But if you would stand for our scripture reading, we are in our Advent series. And today I'm actually going to read the passage that sort of precedes the passage we read during our lighting of our Advent candle. It's on pages 1024 and 5. This is the story of Elizabeth, and in particular, her husband, Zachariah, and the announcement that they would uh, have a child, who we now know as John the Baptist. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As I mentioned, today is the third week of our Advent series, and during Advent this year, we are doing our best to try to gaze through all of the chaos, pain, uncertainty, and brokenness of this life and of this world. And as we gaze through these things, our hope is to behold the beauty of Advent that we can discover right in the midst of the chaos, pain, and brokenness. Two weeks ago, we talked about God's intention from the very beginning to rescue the world from sin, shame, and darkness through Jesus 
the light of the world. Last week we reflected on Jesus putting on human flesh and coming and making his home among us, and in doing so he identified with us and with what it is like to be human, to stand in shoes in the midst of this broken world. This week the word is invitation, and I am particularly fond of the idea of Advent, all the images and all the ideas surrounding Advent as a personal invitation to you and to me. Invited to what? Well, to begin, invited to wonder. Throughout the Advent story, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, have these encounters with God that scare them just a bit. And they scare them because they're so extraordinary. They're so out of the norm. And repeatedly, the Bible says they wondered what was happening and what it all might mean. And it makes sense. The Israelites have been waiting literally centuries for their deliverer to come. And now word on the street is that he is coming soon. So something is happening. And it maybe helps to kind of get in and sort of feel this a bit when things have been difficult or things have been lonely or things have been not the way we've wanted them to be. And now something is beginning to stir. Something is starting to happen. And in this first century context, people are excited and they're filled with this idea of wonder. It is a word repeated throughout the Advent story. And wonder is such a fascinating posture and one that is perhaps becoming increasingly rare in our times. This attitude this position, this posture of wondering, pondering, or if you will, being astonished, being amazed. Now, our friend Zachariah the priest, whom we read about a moment ago, is a professional religious guy. And he's going about his duties as a priest when he too encounters God through an angel. And he too was afraid. But after the angel told him what was going on, Zechariah, it seems from the reading, sort of sits back, folds his arm, and strokes his beard kind of suspiciously. We might put it this way Zechariah didn't wonder at, he wondered how, which is a very different kind of wondering. Wondering at is an exercise of the soul. Wondering how is an exercise of the head. When we see a brand new baby and we're staring through the glass at the hospital, we can get caught up in wondering at. There's a kind of awe and astonishment. I don't imagine we wonder how in those moments. It's fairly obvious. But it appears that Zachariah was unable to connect the dots about how his aging body was going to impregnate his aging and barren wife. And this is what he gets stuck on. He couldn't figure out how they were going to go from having no children to having a son, this angel said, was going to turn the hearts of the Israelites back to God. It appears then that Zechariah's wonder muscle had atrophied. And remember, he is the professional religious guy. He'd been around the scriptures most of his life. He'd been engaged in the prayers most of his life. He was familiar with the prophecies from old. But it appears he had lost his ability to wonder. 
to be astonished. And religion will do this to us. Life will do this to us. Age will do this to us. Busyness will do this to us. Cynicism will do this to us. Pride will do this to us. And familiarity will do this to us. At Advent, I would suggest God invites us to wonder at, to be in awe of, to let the miracle of what God is doing move our soul. The coming of God into the world, then, is not logical. It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't abide by the laws and the rules of formulas or of algebra. Our brain will not be able to figure this out. It appears our friend Zachariah was a bit stuck in his head, we might say. And because it didn't make sense, it didn't add up, he couldn't do the math, therefore he couldn't believe it, and he didn't believe it. So God graciously took his voice away for nine months. I mean, this is kind of God's sense of humor a little bit here. What better way to get a priest to shut his mouth than to take his voice away for nine months. Nine months to do what? You can't speak. You can't tell other people what this supposedly means. You can't pontificate. You can't counsel. You can't advise. So what do you do for nine months when you can't speak? I would suggest you have nine months to wonder. Nine months to ponder. And yet this all seems so childlike. For isn't it children who wonder and who ponder without needing to be trained to wonder and ponder. It seems so childlike because it is. And in God's kingdom, the way to maturity run right, runs right through childlikeness. So those who have authentic faith will come across to us often as being childlike. This past Tuesday, someone asked me if I still like doing Christmas Eve services. This is my 39th Advent as a Christ follower, 31st as a minister. Some of you don't know this, I was ordained at the age of four. So, <laughs> so I have a bunch of Advent sermons and series and Christmas devotionals all jammed into various files in my computer. Plenty of words written and spoken about Advent and what it means. They asked me the question. I answered it right away. I said I love Christmas Eve services. They are right up there with Holy Week services. In fact, Christmas Eve and Advent services and Easter week and Easter services are my favorite of all year. And ever since giving this answer, I've been thinking about why. After all these years, I still have a genuine love for Advent. And it's because, exactly what we're talking about, it's because Advent invites wonder. Advent pulls me beyond what I can explain. Advent is something to ponder at the feet of. Advent is something to be astonished about because Advent is bigger than us. And we won't experience Advent if all we do is try to engage it with our brains. Because Advent is beyond the reach 
of an equation or a formula. And I can hardly think of anything better or more desperately needed these days than sitting with Advent, kind of pondering its various implications, resisting the urge to rush through it, hurry past it, write it off, fill it up, and instead perhaps take a page out of Zachariah's book and kind of silently wonder and ponder. Now, Advent may actually be a new experience for some of us. Maybe we've only begun recently to follow Jesus or participate in the life of a church. Maybe we grew up in a religious tradition where Advent was not really emphasized. So for some of us, this whole Advent thing might be a new concept, and our wonder muscle might be working hard these days because we're finding it to be an amazing story, and we're a bit caught up in the wonder and in the astonishment. But for those who have been through Advent a few times and heard the Christmas story, a few times, maybe Advent has lost some of its shine. The mystery and the wonder of God putting on flesh and coming to earth just doesn't reach out and grab us like it once did. Nice story, fuzzy memories, particularly nice story on a day when it's cold and raining, kind of curl up to the fire and think about it a little bit. Fun season of the year, perhaps, but Advent familiarity has maybe drained some of the zing out of it. How do we recapture the wonder? One suggestion is to remember the characters in the Advent story were real, authentic people. Long before the Christmas characters were famous, long before they were known by their first names, long before they had been reduced to cheap ceramic or plastic figurines in a manger series, Long before their lives were the stuff of Christmas carols, Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds were real people like you and me. Living out their lives, falling in love, building families, facing chaos, enduring suffering, having a few laughs, trying to cling to faith in God along the way. They didn't look like most of us. They didn't live in suburbia. They didn't have much by way of material possessions. They didn't live in a free country, but they were real people like you and me. Flawed, confused, scared, lonely. They had hopes and dreams and desires just as we have. They had hurts and disappointments just as we do. They had arguments with their spouses and celebrations and weddings and funerals and feasts, just as we do. Mary was someone's teenage daughter. At the most, when all this unfolds, she was 16 years old. Joseph was an entrepreneur in the carpentry business, trying to make a living, trying to get himself set up so he could support his new wife-to-be. Zachariah was an aging priest, With an aging wife, they didn't have any children, and not having any children was their deepest life wound. The shepherds were trying to eke out a living in a society that had them pinned down near the bottom of the ladder. They weren't high on anybody's credibility list. The lifespan in those days, maybe 35 or 40 years old, and that was it. And life was hard. The Romans made sure of it. The point is, these Christmas characters were ordinary people living their lives with all the hopes and dreams and longings we have. 
And except for the professional religious guy, the news of God's coming evoked wonder, astonishment, amazement. Except for the religious guy, these others were ready for it. They were oriented toward this. They had eyes to see God when he was showing up. They had ears to hear God when he was speaking, and their lives were forever changed by Advent. Not to sound too goofy, I hate these kind of cute slogans, but forgive me, here's probably not cute, but it's a slogan nonetheless. It seems like Advent is a time for wow, not how. And some of us are oriented toward how. But Advent is a time for wow, wonder, astonishment. But let's be real about this. Some of us have been in this religious game for a long time. And maybe we've lost the wow. Some of us pride ourselves on restraining the wow in every aspect of life. So we kind of hold the wow in check. I'll say it again. Advent is a time to unleash the wow because wow is the perfect Advent posture. Treasuring, pondering, mulling over the implications of God coming into our world and to our lives and changing things forever. Advent is also an, invited, an invitation to an encounter. Advent is the story of ordinary people having extraordinary encounters with God in the course of their everyday lives. God shows up through an angel, a voice, an interaction with another person, some cosmic event, and this God encounter happens as ordinary people are just living out their lives. So as a priest, Zechariah had things to do each day and each year. And in the passage that we read, he was doing his priestly thing one day in the temple, and out of nowhere, an angel appeared and said essentially this, your prayers have been answered, your aging wife is going to get pregnant, you're going to have a son, you'll experience unimaginable joy and delight in this boy. Many will celebrate his birth. And oh, by the way, he's going to turn the hearts of the Israelite people back to God and he's going to get them ready for the coming of the Messiah. Wow. That's quite a uh, prediction. So Zechariah encountered God in the normal course of his life. He's just doing what he did and this happened. But He's the professional religious guy, just remember that. He wasn't ready for this. He wasn't looking for this. He wasn't listening for it. So when it happened, he didn't believe it. And instead of saying, wow, he said, how? And remember, he's the big shot professional religious guy. I don't blame him for not believing, actually. I'm not sure I would believe. And don't take this as an offense, but I doubt you would believe. That's a pretty big deal. I don't think God was mad at him for not believing. I don't think God was pounding his fist saying, now I'm going to make you silent for nine months. I don't think it was like that at all. But the irony is rather sobering. A priest is doing his priestly thing and God shows up, but the priest is not expecting God. The priest isn't looking for God. The priest isn't listening for God. The priest, rather, is caught up in the grind and routine of priestly things, so he misses the advent right in front of him. He misses the coming of God to him. During the advent season, we anticipate and celebrate the coming of God into the world, but I would suggest it is more than God coming into the world. It is God coming 
to people. He came to Mary, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, the shepherds. He comes in the flesh to dwell among us. He comes to us in the course of our everyday lives. He came to the shepherds while they were out taking care of sheep. Mary was looking forward to her new life with her fiancé, Joseph. Then one day Advent happened, and God showed up. She had an encounter with God, and it forever changed her. Joseph was running his business. Then one day his fiancé showed up pregnant with a ridiculous explanation. And while he was trying to end the relationship with dignity and respect, he had an encounter with God. Advent happened. God showed up in his life, and it forever changed him. We can explain the meaning of Advent, describe what the word means, talk about the history of Advent, tell the story of the first Advent, and that's all part of the deal. But I want to suggest to you, there's a personal encounter part of Advent. What does that mean? It means God coming to you, not once, but on and on again as we live our lives. God coming to me, not once, but as we live out our everyday lives. God coming and speaking to us, however he chooses to do this. God coming and showing himself to us. God coming to us and perhaps rerouting us in some way, reshaping us, transforming us, encounter, experience. This is the stuff of Advent. So I want to ask you a question. When is the last time your eyes and your ears were open and ready to encounter God? Not asking you when's the last time you encountered God. Asking when's the last time your eyes and ears were open and ready to encounter God. I took Gus for a walk on Friday night at one of my favorite parks in Folsom and I was walking him down this, this sidewalk that goes sort of right through the middle of the park. And I looked up and I saw out in front of me a man and a woman up ahead, and they had two dogs, and they had two grocery carts carrying their belongings. One of their dogs, the closer we got, was getting super excited about possibly meeting Gus. So I kind of veered to the side to go around them, and the man looked rather disheveled. He had a cigarette dangling from his lips that danced beautifully up and down as he spoke. That's a neat looking dog, he said to me. What kind is it? I answered his question, but I didn't engage with him. I had a dog to walk. I had a pace to maintain for my own cardio improvement. So I answered, kept veering left, and kept walking. And about five minutes later, not because I was trying to, but five minutes later, I felt a deep sense of having just walked past a burning bush and a missed holy moment. I had a deep sense that I had just skipped a sacred encounter. Now, I don't always feel this way when I pass by those whose lives are lived in the streets, but I did on Friday night, and I don't have any way to explain why. But I felt like I had missed Advent. The whole time I kept walking, I thought, you know what? For some reason, I think God was going to show up had I been not such a jerk and stood there and engaged. 
I felt like I'd missed Advent. I felt like I missed an encounter with God in the normal course of my everyday life. So I circled back to see if I could find them, but they were gone. God continues to come to us, to Advent in our lives. He shows up in the everyday stuff of our lives. And just for us to think about this, are we looking? Are we listening? Are we ready? Lastly, we are invited to play our part in the story. A few years ago, Julie and I had the chance to go to Italy with our daughter's college soccer team. And while we were there, we all attended a professional soccer game one night. Now, over the years, Julie and I have attended literally hundreds and hundreds of soccer games. But there is a huge difference between a soccer game in these United States and a soccer game in Europe. See, in our country, fans attend soccer games and watch the players on the field. In Europe, there are no fans. There are players on the field and there are players in the stands. What we call fans are players in the stands in Europe. So at a soccer game in Europe, everyone in the stadium has a role. Everyone has a part to play in the game. No one sits back and just folds their arms and watches. I mean, in Italy, these fans were insane. I did not think I would be alive when this game was over. The cheers and the screams were choreographed communal experiences designed blatantly to shame and degrade the opponent and inspire the home team. And that was the role of the players in the stands. That was their part. And our group that we came from the United States, we just sat there and watched. And in that context, we were the exception. We were the ones who didn't get it. We were the ones who were missing out because we watched instead of participated. And I don't want to crack this too hard, but some Christians approach their faith like a soccer fan at a game in the United States. They sit up in the stands and watch. But in the context of God's kingdom and what he's doing in this world, those who watch should be the exception. They're the ones who don't get it. They're the ones who are missing out. Why? Because Christianity and Christ following is a participation sport, not a spectator sport. Christ following is a soccer game in Europe where everyone has a role. Everyone has a part to play. See, in the Advent story, God is working his plan to rescue and heal the world. That's the plan. That was his intention all the way back in Genesis. And that intention winds through his covenant with Abraham. And it winds to his covenant with David. And it winds to his covenant with Moses. The promise to Abraham, you will be the father of a great nation. The promise 
to Moses, I will give you land. The promise to David, there will be a descendant of yours who will be king forever over this people on this land. From way back, this story was unfolding of healing, of restoration, of deep internal transformation. God working his plan to restore and to heal the world. The long-awaited Messiah is about to arrive. And here's the thing. God unfolds his plan through people. Ordinary, everyday people who are willing to play their role and do their part. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the synagogue. He goes up. He takes the scroll from Isaiah 61, and he unrolls it, and he starts reading. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of God's favor. This is the essence of God's work in this world. And he invites all who follow him to play our part in the story. And Friday night at a park in Folsom, I was invited to play a part in the story. But I was too busy keeping my pace up for cardio improvement. So I walked right by it. And I missed it. I'll say it one more time. This thing we're in is not a spectator sport. No watching. No such thing as fans and players. Just all players. And each with a role. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? It is just such a good word. This word behold. It cuts through all the brain games. It does not deny some of us struggle with believing. It doesn't diminish the fact that some of us have a hard time reconciling such a good and powerful God with such a hard and painful world. But I like this word. I like where it points us. Behold the beauty of Advent. It does not unfold outside of the pain, the doubt, the chaos, the struggle. It exists and stands right in the middle of the chaos and the pain and the struggle. And right in the middle of it, there is this beauty and his name is Jesus. So our Lord and Savior, in these few moments, we once again pray for the heart and the eyes of Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and the shepherds and Joseph. For the eyes and the ears and a heart that once again learns how to wonder, how to be astonished, how to be without words and simply ponder, reflect, consider, 
and most especially worship and adore the King of Kings who came to fulfill the promise from all the way back. We worship you on this day. We worship you in this season and pray that you will continue to help us keep our ears and our eyes and our hearts open, waiting and expecting you to show up. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.